0: Hello, and welcome to Now That We're Friends, the podcast that takes your life questions and gives you – sorry, can we start over? My headphones are not in. Okay. <laughs> the whole nope. time. I'm so sorry. On, uh, They're almost in. They're almost in. Take it away, Anne.
1: Hello, and welcome to Now That We're Friends.
0: I'm so sorry. God damn I just, it. I did accidentally, as
2: you said that, I just accidentally realized that I pulled a classic Caroline move and I texted Gail to feed the cat instead of Phil. I sent it and then I was like, motherfucker. She just texted me back, I cannot. I'm so sorry. Okay. Let's try that again. (laughs) Did you text Phil, though, is the question. I I did. I texted it. Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now that we're friends, here is an album you would like. Here is a book you would like. I think you'd like my cat and also my dog because we're friends. Now that we're friends, now that we're friends, now that we're friends, now that we're friends.
1: Hello and welcome to Now That We're Friends, the podcast that takes your life
0: questions and gives you homework. Just kidding. Now That We're Friends is an arts advice podcast where, instead of Dear Abby, we offer specially curated mixtapes of music, art, TV shows, poems, and more to suit your mood and help you get through whatever it is you're wanting to get through. That was Gail Thompson
1: out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, who once stood on her chair at a bar and gave a really impassioned speech about President Gerald Ford.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was Am Holmes out of
1: D.C., whose head
2: is perfectly shaped like a doll's head.
0: (laughs) I don't even want to go now. (laughs) Um, And that was Caroline Cabrera out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, who as a child, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, Caroline, or like if I'm getting anything incorrect about this, which is the synonym for getting it wrong. Um, (laughs) Your... Childhood imaginary friend was the cousin or sister of Gloria Stefan.
2: Can you can Gloria you confirm? Stephan, yes, her her she was her sister. Did I not her say name Gloria Stefan? No, you said it. I don't know why I said it again. I just like to. Talk about you were her. like, <laughs> yeah, Sonia. <laughs> I'm like, that's correct, Gail. Gloria Stefan. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I say the wrong name? Oh, no, I, I meant to tell you. <laughs> what I meant to do was confirm sister, and I'm like, that's right, it was Gloria Estefan. <laughs> um, yes, her, my
0: imaginary. Good job, everyone. I am
2: crying. <laughs> I am too. My imaginary friend was named Sonia Estefan. She was the sister of Gloria. I want you all to know that I don't know if Gloria has any real sisters, but Sonia was like a I made her up entirely. And oh, yeah, that, yeah,
0: I, loved I, I forgot that 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 could be like, I just assume when you would say that, I'd be like, well, certainly Caroline just made up the sister of Gloria Stefan," But it didn't occur to me that perhaps other people might listen and go, ah, rea- reality, facts, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> wow. <I'm glad> you <laughs> well, also. glad you clarified <laughs> that. <laughs>
2: What kind of child would I be if I'm like my imaginary friend is gonna be based off a, real, a real person friend. and it's gonna be based yeah. off my idol, but I can't I can't have it be my idol. I'll I'll just have it be her sister. <laughs> I'm not worthy of Gloria.
0: It's like when I wrote one of my journal entries in the first grade featuring it was a murder mystery story featuring Reba McIntyre and her son Shelby. Both real feel- <laughs> <laughs> That's the galest gale that ever galed. Like <laughs>
2: Um, are we doing a podcast, guys?
1: <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't think so.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what have we got for today? What do we say? <laughs> I think let's just
2: roll with it. What do we got for today? What do we got? Um, we have a voicemail from an unnamed caller.
0: Hi, ladies. My question is, how do you balance aging gracefully with not just giving up?
2: So should we talk about this question? Yeah. yeah. It's a big one. It is. As women in our 30s, it probably is worthwhile for us to think about it now too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if it is actually.
0: <laughs> I was reading an article the other day that was like, when I turned 40, I suddenly started thinking about my mortality. And I was like, I'm sorry, who the hell are you? Yeah. How lucky are you to have not thought about it when you were four? Yeah, I, know. <laughs>
1: I was going to say five,
2: but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I sent you guys last week. I woke up in the morning and opened my news app. And one of the first article titles I saw was the Atlantic article that was like, your decline is closer than you think and it was all about oh, like yeah. pe- <laughs> it was all about people peaking in their careers. like people who are very successful generally like peak and then still have like decades that they live feeling insignificant. So yeah, Great. I think age- aging seems hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I was just gonna say I started thinking too on the word gracefully, yeah, which is so interesting because grace can mean so many things. I don't know, I'm just thinking about like social graces, which is kind of civility and decency. But grace is also like elegance and poise. And so it's just like interesting to think about grace in its many, many forms. I don't know. I started to go in a lot of directions with this. Just thinking about what gracefully means and especially like what gracefully can mean for women, especially. Yes. Like in a very gendered world where women aging is kind of like almost taboo. Yeah, I think this is a super gendered question.
2: What what do we want to name our, our caller? We can call her whatever we want. Cynthia. Cynthia, okay. So yeah, I think Cynthia, I thought the same thing. Sorry, guys, if you can hear my cat in the background. Yeah, um, he's very unhappy. Yeah, he'll eat in about 25 minutes and then he won't be unhappy oh, anymore. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just this is a little bit of real life coming on in on the podcast. So yeah, I think that word gracefully makes this a very gendered question. I'm not saying that, you know, only women deal with how do I age. And I think it's something that I've actually talked a lot. I mean, when my grandfather was ill, like this was certainly a topic that was on his mind, but I was wondering how would a man phrase this question? Because I think Uh there are different concerns at play. Yeah. Yeah. Should we jump into suggestions? (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, so if you remember, Caroline and Anne, you remember that I listened to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text a lot, the yes. podcast, the idea of grace. And obviously with Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, it's it's like thinking about, you know, not necessarily like religious, but more spiritual concepts. And the idea of grace for them is this idea of forgiveness without there being any need to be forgiven where it's just like, there is no need to forgive someone. There is nothing, there's nothing benefiting you. There's nothing benefiting like anybody, but you are allowing them to be forgiven or allowing it to be okay, regardless. And that's that's having grace, right? That's like, connects back down to relationships too and who we are as people. And then I think it, it's nice thinking about that grace as like forgiveness of yourself and other people, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what the the core really is to me. It's like, yeah, like it's obviously it's it's totally gendered, And it's totally thinking about like, you know, like grace is some sort of thing that's like smooth and natural that and like, you know, nothing is being bothered. But it also means that like you're being forgiving and you're being a forgiving person of yourself and of others, I guess, for no reason whatsoever, which is the best part about grace. You're just doing it because you're a good person. And so the point is, is, I think a lot of it is about forgiving and forgiving yourself and just being yourself and living your life. Yeah. And feeling okay with it.
1: Because I started to think too about perspective and acceptance a lot with this question. As we get older, we have to change ourselves in some way to be more of ourselves or to be someone else or to look for different things. And so, yeah, I think a lot about that. We have nothing that we need to be searching for necessarily that we don't already have
2: connecting that idea of grace though
1: to that idea of like
2: forgiveness
1: mm-hmm.
2: when I reframe it in Cynthia's question how can I age without it being like burdensome <laughs> like how yeah. can I how mm-hmm. can I be for? how can I be forgiven for like existing in the world as a less young woman Ugh. and yeah and I, I actually I love that you said that Gail because it like reframes the question in a way that I think brings so much clarity to why aging is difficult for women and why that's kind of bullshit.
0: Yeah, it's so like it's it's really funny to even think about it in that way, because like obviously when we say like, oh, Meryl Streep is aging gracefully, we're thinking like, man, her cheekbones are still rocking. Like yes. that's like what we think about it. And not in, in and the fact that it's natural, right? Like we're thinking of this like, oh, so and so isn't doing Botox or so and so isn't well, you know, like basically the only thing that we read about when we hear about women aging is like what kind of skin routine they have or skin care routine. Not a skin routine. That'd be terrible if you had a skin routine. <laughs> um, a skincare routine. Um because then it turns into the capitalization of our insecurities, which is where yes. the like All those terrible ads come from. But it's like, how do you not care, but still care? Yeah. But yeah, how do you not care what people think, but care what you think?
2: This kind of brings me one of the first uh, recommendations I had when I when I thought of this question, because when you think about aging gracefully, it's so like you just illustrated, Gail, you so naturally go to actresses. And I'm like, oh, Helen Barron, you know, and it's like, all I'm doing is like, thinking of hot older ladies, which is not super productive. (laughs) That's all
0: I do. That's all all I do.
2: (laughs) And then it made me think of, I was trying to think of someone who is an actress who is, you know, older than, she's not even that old, uh, but, you know, who is aging, um, who is remarkable for a variety of things and not just being beautiful. And that's not to say that like Helen Mirren or Meryl Streep aren't, obviously they're like, got accolades, but the person I thought of that I want to recommend, and and then I have a couple things to recommend in like the scope of this person is Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Because I think she's amazing. Um, I think she's super freaking funny. I think, I mean, I know Veep has just ended, but up until the end of Veep, I thought she was the funniest person currently on television. And what I love is that when she was younger, she was playing, like, Jerry Seinfeld's sidekick. And then in her mm-hmm. fift- in her 50s, she's starring in a show. She was someone to look to where I'm like, look, she's someone who, like, has really come into her own so much more and has shown it kind of in her own right so much more as she ages. So I really want to recommend Veep. The character that she plays in Veep takes on, you know, as a politician, like, the very gendered ways we judge women in a satirical way. And then also she is an actress is like really just owning it in her fifties. The other part of that is that I want to recommend, I'll admit that this part came first when I was thinking of it, the inside Amy Schumer sketch, Mm -hmm. the last fuckable day. Do you guys, do you guys know this one? Yes. No. Okay. It's hilarious. So Amy is like jogging through a park and she comes upon Tina Fey, Patricia Arquette, and Julie Louis Dreyfus like having this like they're like set up at this like beautiful table with this spread of food and they're sitting and talking and she's like, "Oh my god, you guys are my idols. Like what are you doing out here? Is it someone's birthday?" They like, you know, have her join them. And they're like, "Oh no, it's Julia's last fuckable day." And she's <laughs> like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, like when you're a woman in entertainment, there's a point at which you become like not fuckable anymore." And then, like, <laughs> Amy's like, well, but, but how do you know? And they're like, oh, you find out in various ways. Like, I think Patricia Arquette is like, I just read a part to play Mrs. Claus. You know, and they just kind of they're really poking fun at like, you know, women are treated like they have an expiration date in Hollywood. It's these, you know, super talented women, all of whom are still, I would argue, like having better careers now than they did as younger actresses talking about this topic. So it's like a five minute sketch. I'd watch that and I'd watch all veep that's an when you google question. cynthia when you look this up on youtube don't put in the phrase last fuckable day <laughs> just just search <laughs> search amy schumer julia and it will populate for you if you have They're to
0: like, put a, a kind <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> well that's an excellent suggestion thank you <laughs> it really is
1: <laughs> I also just wrote down Diane Keaton in general.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about her though, because she makes me sad in this tiny way, which I, I, we have recently talked about. Is it the turtlenecks? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I am someone who I enjoy a good covering up of my skin. <laughs> I really like things. Oh, we know. <laughs> I like feeling enwrapped in things. Um, I enjoy a good turtleneck. I wish that I could be Diane Keaton, but I am about seven inches, probably too short to pull off the things that she can pull off. However, I could do it gracefully, apparently is what we are learning in this episode. Her aesthetic though,
2: so I follow her on Instagram. I'm really yes. into her clothing choices. Yeah,
0: Her aesthetic is very
2: much like swimming in this outfit. Yeah, I feel like you could do that.
0: I swim in lots of outfits. It's true. <laughs> um. <laughs> literally no in doing a bunch of research trying to figure out because i remember like watching her on oprah like a million years ago and her being just like i feel really comfortable like i really like covering up my hands like, like covering up my neck i like covering up my shoulders i like wearing these clothes and then as like i was reading it turned into like yeah okay so i and i have like somewhat melanoma but also i think i'm old and i want to cover up my gross skin and i was like diane keaton Aww. you have ruined me and it makes me so sad
2: oh That is really sad,
0: but I mean, in general, I agree, Diane Keaton, (laughs)
2: because
0: I think she's incredible.
2: She is. She also flies her freak flag.
0: She,
1: yeah. I mean, that's mostly what I was thinking about. I didn't know all of that. No, why why would you? (laughs) Sad, but just like when I, I don't know, anytime I like see her or hear her, I'm just like, yeah, exactly. She does what she wants. She wears what she wants. And she just seems like
0: she kind of just is being herself. Mm-hmm. Just a little weirdo. And I say that's like one of my favorite compliments I say to people.
2: Is to be a little weirdo?
0: <laughs> yeah. Which means yeah. just like you're just being yourself. And I love it. And my mom recommends uh, the book club. I was going to say the book thief. That's, she's not. I mean, I'm sure she recommends that too. But the book club.
2: Is that the one where they all read Fifty Shades?
0: Yeah. She said she didn't really like it, though. Oh, why she recommended then? She listed it as like <laughs> things that she's seen that had old people in them.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh, she recommended it for
0: Cynthia. Yes.
2: <laughs> I thought you were like, just just to keep you up with Diane Keaton and my mom news. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, that's for the next podcast. <laughs> Diane Keaton and my mom. I don't know the first podcast I could think of. And do you have a particular like thing that you're thinking of?
1: For Diane Keaton?
0: Yeah. No.
1: Okay. I was just thinking of like her presence to me. Mm-hmm. She just always seems like she's pretty confident in being who she is and I don't know. She came to mind when I thought of like aging gracefully mm-hmm. and confidently. I do think that thing
2: about being confident with who you are is a big part of this question. Because I think yes. I think this question is asking for permission from other people. I think it's a lot of like worrying what other people think. Like, I don't want to look like I'm trying too hard to be young, but I don't want to look like I'm not trying at all is something I like read into this question. Did you guys see that there too?
0: Absolutely. It's, yeah, I have, mm-hmm. I'm thinking I've been this entire, all of my suggestions think so much about like the pressure of the narrative that we've seen in our past and like how we feel like we're kind of stuck in whatever that narrative is. And we, anything that we do, even if it's something wild, it still needs to be something wild that is we are given permission to do. And so even the wild things, like I'm feeling yeah. like, oh, well, would it be okay if I did this wild thing? Well, the point is, is that no one should be okay with it. Just do the wild thing. Ha 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 Yeah. Do the wild what? thing. Yeah, sorry. Do the-, <laughs> do the wild thing. No? That was cool? Okay. You're anyway. It was, but your
2: laugh there sounded like a villain laugh. <laughs> like you were like, yeah.
0: <laughs> just do the wild thing. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Sorry, that was just my real laugh.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, and this is like probably, I don't know. I was going to say it's the weirdest one I have, but I'm telling you, a lot of these are way out of left field. I really think, Cynthia, you should buy The Artist Way book by Julia Cameron and yeah. read through that and do some of the practices in that. I I don't know if you're an artist. I don't think that's necessary because what the book has you do, I mean like the, the most basic thing that like probably everyone already knows, maybe you already know this, Cynthia, is that like one of the early practices it has you do is, these, is what's called morning papers where you just like write for th- three pages every morning. A lot of it is just focused on looking inside and like developing kind of your perspective And that's what I think seems really exciting about being older is having lived experience, having this like kind of like self-possession and distinct perspective. I'm sorry, the cat is now like knocking down the door. Um, (laughs) It's just going to happen. Sorry. So I think something that seems actually exciting about being older is being like more self-possessed, more sure. And what makes me a little... (laughs) sad about Cynthia's question is that it is so focused on other people. And so I think taking time for yourself and not like in a hokey way, like, Oh girl, take time for yourself. Get like a yoga class. I think doing the artist's way and and really making a deliberate effort to start caring more about your interior thoughts Mm
0: -hmm. is going to
2: help you. It's going to help you say like, you know what? this is what I want to wear or this is what I want to do or this is something I want to say or, you know, it's going to let you feel more permission from yourself rather than looking for other people for permission mm-hmm. to be the way you want to be.
0: And I love the artist. For, I'm someone who's like – who's very much looking for everyone's permission. I know – like I feel often that like I don't know what I like. I don't know what I should like. And there I, I keep asking people what – are like I'll, I'll – I've asked – Caroline and Ann, you know, what should I have for dinner tonight? I'll call my mom to ask what kind of ice cream I should get. and not It's like the silliest things, but I always feel like I need to get permission for anything. And obviously those are the smallest things. But um, the artist way has been really helpful for me, for sure. And not even just like art-wise. I I would say, in fact, it's done nothing for me art-wise. But in terms of like a way of thinking, it's been really helpful.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking too is like it's a way of almost like – Focused, like, self-journeying,
0: you know? Yeah. Well, so my... I think my suggestions can go right... Just piggyback right on there. I don't know if I necessarily recommend this episode of 30 Rock, but it's the finale of 30 Rock, where Jack is trying to figure out if he's happy or not. And he, like, he does the, like, Six Sigma chart, and it's like Mm -hmm. a pie graph. It says, like, health is, like, one pie chart color, like piece of the pie. Then there's like love life, piece of the pie. Then there's like hobbies, piece of the pie, work, piece of the pie. And it's all these different things. And he it like shows him going through and like figuring out whether all of those are like whether he's quote unquote completed all of those. And of course, at the end, like it's a joke and like it's totally absurd. Nothing about it matters. But doing it a few months ago was really helpful for me because I couldn't re- I couldn't figure out what it is that I wanted to do, what I felt like doing what was important to me. And I think that's the real thing because it's not necessarily what you, because like boiling it down to what do you want to do? sounds It make it can be really difficult to figure it out. But if you just boil it down to like, what are the things that I care about? What are the things that I can do to get toward those things? And yeah. tu- you like turn it into a chart. And like I literally put a I I had like a pie graph um, on my little agenda thing. And I did literally they, these Six Sigma different pieces of like a happy life.
2: I don't know a ton about Buddhism, but I mm-hmm. I do know that like one of the Buddhist principles is living in congruence with your beliefs. So like doing meditation about like, what is it that I value? What is it that I and then looking in your day to day and being like, do I live this out? Do I live this value out? Or am I like living in a incongruent way with the values I have, which is something that I have been trying to think about the past few years, like, OK, maybe you're so discontent mm-hmm. with this thing because the job you have doesn't actually live out your values. Okay. Try to find something. Yeah. So that's what that makes me think of Gail. And I think it's a huge, it's a great way to kind of take stock.
0: Yeah. It's like, it makes things quantifiable that seems so unquantifiable because they're so, yeah. they get so big in your head and it's good to like, put, yeah. give things a value and put them down and give them a name. Yeah.
1: I think like finding the common thread in like what grounds you, and I was thinking about both of your recommendations, too, and it sort of fits with one of my major ones, too, which is to read This is the Story of a Happy Marriage by Anne Patchett, which is a collection of essays that came out uh, a few years ago. And the title, This is a Story of a Happy Marriage, is, you know, it's kind of ironic and funny because she's basically in the collection. It, it made me think of you, Cynthia, because... In this collection, she, and Patchett, is sort of chronicling her life and like looking back and trying to find like all of the various threads of like who she is and the things that ground her and the mistakes that she's made and sort of just like the messy shit that life is. She is a writer and a lot of Her essays are grounded in her practice as a writer, but that's sort of where things converge. And she talks about all the other aspects of her life. I mean, her actual marriage, but she also kind of talks about her happy marriage as like writing, being the thread through kind of a lot of the rockiness, through like a lot of the uncertainty and being able to kind of hold on to that thing through like her failed first marriage and just some of the like shitty jobs that she's had and just being able to, to age and have that, that kind of grounding. um,
2: Like, like force or like the anchor or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like writing is her anchor. And while like, things have been falling down around her like that's the thing that has kind of like given her confidence and has sort of helped her through through her life as a writer I appreciated it because she does give you know some some like practical advice about writing but that's not really what her essays as a whole are doing it's really kind of her charting her life and what what matters. What she doesn't need to worry about, and how that has like shaped her as, as an adult woman. I love that collection, Anne, so much. It's the first thing I ever
2: read by Anne Patchett, and then it sent me off reading like everything by her. Not I. I still have a few, a few novels I oh, haven't read. So good. I've it's never so, heard of it. It's so good. Um, but there is a particular essay in that collection that doesn't necessarily apply to this question, but I just love it so much. It's the one called Love Sustained. It's about caring for her grandmother as yes. she's aging. It kind of talks about I mean, there's so much that happens in it, but the idea of Love Sustained is that love is easy when you're young and healthy and that like as people age, that's when love requires so much of mm-hmm. you. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. And I I've read it multiple times. I've I don't own that book. I probably should, but I've checked it out from the library. So I checked it out once and read the whole thing, and then I think two more times I've checked it out just to reread that essay uh, when I needed it in my life.
1: Yeah. My so, mom gave it to yeah. me, and I cherish it. That's lovely. Um, but yes. something else I just love about Anne Patchett in general, and Cynthia, I wow. think you should just read Anne Patchett because she's an incredible writer, is that she does not suffer bullshit in her life. Like If you read mm-hmm. interviews with her, and I don't know if either of you, Gail or Caroline, have But she's just like, I went through all this stuff and now like that I am approaching, well, in the interview I read, she was approaching 50. I don't actually know how long ago that interview was. She was basically just like, now I know like these are the things that I want to hold on to. These are the things I don't care about. These are the types of people that are toxic. She's just so confident about how she lives her life. And I think that that's it's a model for me, certainly. And I think she's someone to look to as a writer and also just as kind of her outlook on life, I think is, I find it motivational.
0: I like that.
2: Yeah. I love her so much. And she's someone, sometimes there are writers and I'm going to sound so snobby, but there are writers who I kind of put into like the, oh, like book clubs read this. (laughs) Um, basket but i'm like oh mm-hmm. this seems like maybe a little lighter or a little less cuz i can be so snobby about books where i'm just like there's so many books like i only need like i don't have time to read all the books i want to read and so i only have time for the best books and i think she is someone who i i had misplaced into like that basket where i'm like she's not like not like the quality but i guess like it sounds shitty but i think that's what i thought like oh she's not really like the quality of writer i want to spend time with and then i was like are you mm-hmm. a fucking idiot caroline she is amazing. (laughs) And I just admire her so much.
1: I thought that too, um, before I read her. And like my mom had recommended her. And I was just like, well, she seems like a very popular Mm -hmm. writer. And I had that kind of maybe like elitist sense of like, well, if she's super popular, that means that her writing probably isn't up to par Mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's not true she's just she's fantastic i mean her books are popular because she's an incredible writer
0: yeah agreed i learned about her from you guys i thought she was great because she was recommended to me by my best friends Anne and caroline hey, hey, hey. And now we're friends, now we're friends. <laughs> cynthia you
2: can have the Gale experience of ann patchett
0: <laughs> yeah oh that's true it's a good experience i recommend that <laughs> Um, So my second sitcom recommendation, which is, I think, tied right on into this, about not suffering bullshit, about not giving a fuck, and about kind of like not asking for permission, is the episode of the hit TV show Friends, um, (laughs) (laughs) titled The One with the Fake Monica. It is in the first season. It's episode 21. And the kind of premise here is that Monica's credit card gets stolen and she only finds out because she's looking at her statements, which I think is hilarious that like back then, back in the day, we just would like look at our statements and be like, oh, no, I didn't buy this a month later. Now it's like I went to brunch and my card was declined and it's because the bank was like.
2: You don't go to four foot lockers in one evening usually. right?
0: Yeah. No, yeah. My, car was, my card was declined two weeks ago because I forgot to tell them that I had left Salt Lake City. But like if I'm home from Salt Lake City, that should just be like default, right? If they're like, oh, someone's back in Grand Rapids. Cool. Whatever. The point is, is that Monica's card uh, gets stolen and she finds out that like this person has been doing all these really, really cool things that she would never do. And she finds out who it is because she she like learns that this person's been going to like Broadway dance company classes in New York. And so she goes to tap class and she meets this woman who, you know, obviously her name is Fake Monica. And she does all these crazy things. They become friends for like a really short while. And they do just really balls to the wall stuff. I think they like crash in on an audition for Cats and try to sing to get in but obviously they get kicked out they got kicked out of a hotel they did something with a circus there's like all sorts of crazy stuff that they do and monica who is normally it's as far as this you know the narrative goes in this like beginning of this season she's really really uptight she's really ocd she's she's very rigid let's put it that way and she's starting to feel like really open and kind of free with this fake monica but then of course two things happen one Monica's about to lose her job because she hasn't been going because she's been doing all this crazy stuff with fake Monica. But Then also uh, fake Monica finally gets arrested for, you know, because the police finally went in. I guess that's what they did back then also was the police went in and found the person who was stealing her identity and arrested her. And then she went to jail. She sees her in jail, like Monica goes and visits fake Monica in jail because she feels like she had to. So she's like, hi, fake Monica. Um, I'm the, you know, I'm the one whose credit card you stole. My life is going to be so sad without you. What am I going to do? How am I going to like challenge myself? And fake Monica goes like, I started my day by peeing in front of 30 other women. And you're upset about who's going to take you to Ringling Brothers. (laughs) And she goes, don't worry about it. You're just going to go back to who you were. Like, you're just going to go back to that regular old rigid person that you were. And there's, then, of course, the episode ends with her actually going to tap class again and, like, by herself. And, you know, it's very upbeat. But, of course, it's friends. So everything just starts back at zero at the next episode. I don't think Monica learns much. But the end of this episode is Monica, like, doing all these tap you know, moves wrong. And the teacher is yelling at her like, you're doing it all wrong. And then she goes, but at least I'm trying. And then that's like the end of the episode, right? So she doesn't, she ends, She learns not to give any fucks. But to me, the best part about this is when is about middle way through when they, she, Phoebe and Rachel all go to this tap dance class to kind of like scope out who fake Monica is. And Monica's freaking out because she doesn't know how to do tap. So she's just like, oh God, I can't do it. And she's like, you know, kind of shaky and she like is very not good on her feet. And then Phoebe, you like look around and Phoebe's like, oh, I'm totally getting it. But Phoebe really is just like flowing her arms everywhere and like just waving Mm -hmm. around the entire floor. And then Rachel, like you kind of like it like pans over to Rachel and she's doing everything just completely perfect along with everybody else. And then she like claps in rhythm with everybody else. And then they stop and everybody looks at her and she goes, what? You just click when they click. (laughs) <laughs> <And> so, Cynthia, <laughs> all of this to say is my recommendation to you is A, watch this episode, and B, think about it as simple as you just click when they click, of like doing something new, where it's like, A, you could be like Phoebe, who just literally doesn't care, and just isn't even trying to do the quote unquote right thing, right? And then there's Rachel, who isn't caring, but who thinks about it as simply as like, you click when they click. You just do the thing. And then you don't worry about all of this like pressure that's being heaped on you. You don't do the Monica thing where you're just not dancing because you're afraid. So then my connected to that, my kind of other recommendation is to like. Wait, can we pointedly, can we just take a moment? Can we yes, just take a moment
2: before you? I, I love that. You just click when they click. I really, really like. Isn't <laughs>
0: yeah. it perfect? It's like it's boiling it down to just the main thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I just didn't want you to blow past that. Also, Gail, you are like such a master at walking us through TV shows and music videos. And it's just always <laughs> like, no, but it's always like entertaining, but also like moving. Like you always grab onto the piece that's like really, that's like the thing. And you, I've been told, told that like, I'm awful like at it, No, but you, like, land really beautifully, <laughs> and I just – I really appreciate it. <laughs> Our friend
0: Scott
2: calls you the color commentator. <laughs> That's,
0: That's really kind of funny. But, see, all, my whole life I've, like, been told that I tell terrible stories, which is hilarious. That's not true. That's I, true. You know, you know, you're, a, you're a writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but not a storyteller. That's not true. Anyway.
2: All right. I'm sorry. Thank I interrupted you. You, you were going to no, say something
0: No, I'm glad that you did. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but then, so my kind of main recommendation based on that is to purposefully and pointedly start a hobby that you're awful at, that you're just terrible at. You're just awful. You're not, there's not even uh, bat's wink in hell. I literally just made that up. Um, <laughs> that you would ever be good at it or think that you could even be a part of the competition. Because it takes you out of caring about it. But if you like it, then you like it. But of course you have to like it. But it separates the idea of liking something and being good at something. And then once you like separate those and you don't, like if you're something just, the rule about it is that you cannot be good at it. Then you're allowed to like it and do it. And there's no pressure. Let's go the, the Phoebe route, perhaps, where you're just like, I totally get it. This is great. And you're just pointedly doing it. You're not feeling any pressure or competition in it. I It's something that I realized just recently that I tend to do, which is I, I like find hobbies that I'm like really never, just never going to be good at. Things like running, baking, like sourdough, my sourdough breads, like they're just never going to be that great. And I'm going to keep trying, but that's that's fine. And like running – I'm one of the worst runners ever, but I'm just going to keep doing it because if I get better, then that means I'm going to have to really pressure myself to get faster and better and then start to race myself and like all these terrible things. And I think, you know, and ballet. I did ballet for two years. I was the worst at it. I could not be a worse ballerina. If I tried, I don't think. I have absolutely no grace, keyword. (laughs) My back is about as tight as anything. Like there's, I'm the worst at it. But it was okay, because that was just what I did. And I like I wasn't trying to be professional. I wasn't trying to be like I was trying to just kind of get a little better. But I think if you like make it kind of a a goal to pick something that you're just like really not gonna be good at and then just kind of work at it and make that your hobby, I think it could be really fun. And it could make you kind of force yourself into being into like figuring out what grace is for yourself.
2: Yeah, and I think that piggybacks really well off what we talked about earlier where You're focusing more on you looking inward rather Mm -hmm. than looking outward because doing something you're bad at but that you like, that's mastering being like, I do not care. I truly do not care what you think about
0: what anyone else
2: thinks about this. It's just about my enjoyment for this.
0: And not in like the, you know, insecure like, oh, it's just terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's like, no, it's whatever. It's just not great. Fine. Just move, you know? Yeah. You can also still
1: like, you can enjoy things that you're bad at. You can learn things about yourself. You can still gain confidence through not being good at things. And I think that's yeah. important too. Yes. Breaking down the barriers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Cause if you're, if you start to get better at something, like if you go find something that you're good at, then you're just going back into that comfort zone and there's like all that pressure. And especially like I've been, you know, I've been thinking about going back into piano lessons. And I tried playing the piano the other night, and I just went by muscle memory, but that ain't there anymore. And so I just, I like couldn't remember what hand went where. That's <laughs> if I have like seven hands. Oh boy! <laughs> but like, it made really me like- so upset. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was going to say, it,
2: it, you What'd made you it say? sound like a really like sensual, grabby piano situation.
0: Yeah, you could, you just couldn't tell where any hands were. It was just all over, man. No, but you know, like, it, and it made me upset because there was that pressure of like, I should be good at this. Where is, where is that good that I was? Or like, how could I get better? Instead of just like, whatever, I'm just going to play the bagpipes. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: I have a goal and I'm going to say it to you guys <laughs> because I've, I've always wanted to learn to play cello.
1: Mm -hmm. Like I just
2: always love, I've always loved the cello and I, that's something that I am. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing it yet, but that's something that I feel like I will do at some point in my life still, but will totally only ever approach it. It's like, it's being process oriented rather than product oriented, right? Like I'm not doing this to 100%. uh,
0: Yeah.
2: It's like, I, I am interested in the process of this thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm saying it to you guys on this podcast to like keep myself accountable to that goal.
0: Caroline, my friend, beeper. I don't know if I can, if I'm legally allowed to say her name. Legally? Um, my, <laughs> legally. <laughs> Not legally. Anyway, my roommate in Salt Lake City when I was there, um, <laughs> she just started learning the cello.
2: That's awesome.
0: Um, and she was very nervous. It was funny because how she was telling it to me. We were, She was really nervous that her flight was going to be delayed or, like, postponed indefinitely because it had been – she was on American Airlines, like, you were, Caroline, that one time. And, like, it just kept going, getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And she was like, I don't know. Am I going to get home, you know, by Tuesday? I don't know. And then about three hours later, she goes, the thing is I'm just really nervous because I have another cello lesson on Tuesday and I don't know if I have enough time to practice Monday night. But, But it had taken that long for her to tell me that she was taking cello. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I loved it. I love her. She's great. My
2: goal is to be her.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My goal is for you to be her too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Caroline, I think that is a great goal. Yeah. Okay.
1: And I'm inspired too to learn something new because I am just terrified of trying new things. Like I love the idea of trying new things and then I just talk myself out of them constantly. So yeah, that's great.
0: And I vow in the month that I have before I leave the city to go to one Ariel's class. Ooh. I'd been planning to go and I was gonna actually be like into it if I was staying, but now I have to really go once because there will not be one where I'm going. <laughs> That's so <laughs> ominous. <laughs> yeah. They just, they do the opposite of Ariel's there,
2: guys. She's just she's just going to Georgia. It's okay, listeners.
0: <laughs> you guys don't know what Georgia's like. <laughs> no, but I imagine that like the closest Ariel's place is like in Atlanta or something. So probably or Athens. Actually, it's in Athens. I think. I'm I'm glad. Anyway,
1: yeah. Figure it out right now, please. I will. I'm just gonna talk it through. So can I read you guys a poem, please? Sure, Anne. Great. (laughs) it's called my life was the size of my life and it's by jane harshfield and it's from her book the beauty which came out in 2015 and cynthia i was just thinking of you as i was reading this poem my life was the size of my life my life was the size of my life its rooms were room-sized its soul was the size of a soul In its background, mitochondria hummed. Above it, sun, clouds, snow, the transit of stars and planets. It rode elevators, bullet trains, various airplanes, a donkey. It wore socks, shirts, its own ears and nose. It ate, it slept, it opened and closed its hands, its windows. Others I know had lives larger. Others I know had lives shorter. The depth of lives, too, is different. There were times my life and I made jokes together. There were times we made bread. Once I grew moody and distant. I told my life I would like some time. I would like to try seeing others. In a week, my empty suitcase and I returned. I was hungry then, and my life, my life, too, was hungry. We could not keep our hands off, our clothes on, our tongues from. It's kind of sexy there at the end damn it (laughs) i don't know but i just i love this idea of like the life is the size of my life like my life is my life and i it's made up of what i make it up of and i can you know wish for things and you know the grass is always greener but also i can just i mean on this topic of you know what you guys are just talking about too like trying new things and failing and being messy and like your life is your life and make out with it yeah make out with it take its clothes <laughs> off or I guess rub your all <laughs> over it or something <laughs> I don't know I just love that that notion of like my life is my life like it's the size of what it is like I don't have to compare it to somebody else's like I can be confident in Whatever it was, whatever it is, what I want it to be, and it can be a little sexy, I guess. At the, end. I don't know. Yeah. To talk about the end. No, but it's like,
0: uh, <laughs> you no, know, I like it. it's like the, the contract, like the contract that you make with yourself is literally a, like no one else has that same contract, and it's not like the one human life contract that you're that you've made with yourself that you have to fulfill. Right. But it's like you are you are creating your own contract with yourself, and. It's like everything that you're doing to fulfill it and make it, then fill it, not fulfill it, to fill that contract is totally unique and to yourself. And so that's it. Yeah.
2: And I think also what you said, Anne, about not having to compare it, I think comparison can only really make you feel small. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. The thief of
2: I've heard. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But if you are looking inward and like thinking about, you know, oh, my life is my life, like then you have the ability to think of yourself more expansively and like mm. think about what that life could grow to entail, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I have a suggestion. Um, that's actually, I, this is another kind of weird one, but I started to think about when we talked about allowing yourself to kind of be weird or like, cause I think, I think also that idea of like aging gracefully, like it, it it's so prescriptive, like what is the way to do this? And it makes it feel like there's, you know, like one way to become like a woman of a certain age or something. Mm -hmm. And we talked really a little bit about letting yourself be weird. And I was thinking about that, about people who just kind of are unapologetically them. And I thought about Oliver Sacks, who you guys know I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with. And Oliver Sacks is so, he was so bright and brilliant. So I, I'm recommending a few things. I would recommend reading everything by him. But first, I want to recommend that you read his memoir, On the Move, which in reading it, the impression I got, first of all, he's done so many things. You know, like, obviously, he's a very famous neuroscientist, but he also was like a semi-professional like boxer or wrestler or something. Like, he's done so many things. And he also, up until he became incredibly ill – but like up into his eighties, he did open water swimming every single day. Like he was, he was a person of many interests and many cool, weird habits. And he's also someone who lived his life in a kind of defiant way. Both with, his, I mean, his story of coming out to his family is pretty traumatic, and yet he was like, "I need to be who I am." And then even his work, when he began writing, awakenings, he was really passionate about writing science in a way that was accessible for a wider audience. And that was really frowned upon. And he was very much like kind of a, he was kind of looked down upon in his field of science for even having an interest in doing that and not just writing for journals. But he just kind of didn't care and did what he thought made sense for him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he was odd and very himself. And so I recommend that book. I also recommend the final essay he wrote for the New York Times when he found out about his terminal cancer diagnosis. I think it's called, shoot my own life, I believe, just because it's really beautiful. Something that I found really delightful about him too is that he contributed a lot to Radiolab episodes. They would interview him a lot. So you can kind of look in their archive and see which ones he appears on. They had they did an episode that was just their final conversation with him mm-hmm. that they put out after his death. Yeah. But he also just kind of pops up in episodes here and there. And the thing that crystallizes like his lovable, quirky weirdness to me is One episode, and I couldn't for the life of me find it, but I'm sure you could just start listening to Radiolab and stumble upon it, Cynthia. He's talking in one episode about how he had a fairly regimented life where he was like, oh, I get up and I swim from this time to this time, and then I eat breakfast, and then I go into the office and I write, and then I do this. But like, it was all doing things he loved, but part of the way that he made that very like structured life work for him is that he would go through periods of time of eating the exact same thing every day for lunch, every day for dinner. And he was like, right now I'm eating a pasta with anchovies and I make it every day. And he's just like describing this pasta with anchovies, which is like such joy. And I'm like, you weird and wonderful little man. (laughs) So, yeah, I recommend uh, Oliver Sacks widely, but then particularly hearing him speak in some format and reading on the move.
0: Yeah, I think everything he writes, he's so good at taking these like really particular things and making them universal and like putting them. In perspective I really yeah I love him
2: yeah and he's he's someone who Mm -hmm. I admire because I think of him as being so generous he was such a brilliant person who was like you know what I could just be (laughs) I could just write up my findings and, and be published in the Lancet or whatever you know But his life's mission, but also part of that is because he really identified as a writer. And that's something he talks about in his final New York Times column is like the things he wants to do with his last few months is he's like, I want to spend more time with my friends. I want to write more. And I just think, I mean, as a writer, obviously I find that super inspiring that he's like, I only have a few months and I'm going to spend it writing. I'm like, what a, I'm like, wow, I think uh, like, I can't get myself to like grab time to write. And I I don't know. We'll lay on the couch and watch hours of TV. And I'm like, ugh, so busy. Couldn't write today. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think his generosity with his work is so inspiring to me.
0: Yeah. So I've been thinking this, like when I was thinking about this, I can admit that I was probably a little biased just because of my own like pressures of aging, right? And so I've been thinking a lot about the whole scariness of aging is the fact that, well, maybe not the whole scariness, but a lot of the scariness of aging is the fact that like you have had this narrative that you've created. You have had this kind of bulk of experiences that you can look back on and that you can draw on and that create who you are, but which can be really stifling. It can feel really like things need to be written for you, right? But then you kind of have to remind yourself that, the book isn't finished yet, which that sounds really, really morbid. But the idea that like you're not like, because I, th- I feel like sometimes we're kind of waiting for someone to write what we're going to do next or write like we're like, we're waiting for permission. And so I have one poem from Morag Huey's new book called Seducing the Asparagus Queen. And probably won't read the whole thing, but I think the title and the last few lines do a pretty good job on it. The title is called it occurred to me today that I will probably die in Michigan, um, <laughs> and it talks a lot about Michigan. But then it says, "My life here is my life here. My parents met an hour from where I sleep with my wife, or stay up too late to watch Criminal Minds. The same choice every night, or at least the illusion of the same choice." Narrative is a kind of cage, as state lines are convenient truth, plot hole, invasive species. It's snowing again, and we're all complaining. Every hour starts with a victim, ends with a rescue, the opposite of all our lives. Which I think pairing that with the repetition of a Criminal Minds-like plot of of Mm -hmm. every Criminal Minds episode is, it feels really right on. It feels like the opposite of what our actual lives are, right? It feels like we, that things should be happening in a certain way that, you know, there are, are growths that are set for us, but really it's kind of just what we decide to do with them. And so that, yeah, I feel like that poem gets at kind of the the cage of narrative that we give ourselves. And then my final recommendation is a book that I haven't finished yet, but I highly recommend. I'll let you know if I finish it and it's terrible, but it's called uh, The Immortalists and it's by Chloe Benjamin. And it's about, it like starts with these four kids um, in 1960s New York. They're from a Jewish family and they randomly have this like encounter with a fortune teller who tells all of them the day that they're going to die. Just like, what's up? And then... the rest of the book and they kind of like find out I think it's like seven years later once the dad dies they like all kind of come together and tell each other like oh this is what the person said this is what the person said and then the rest of the book is basically goes through each person and kind of walks them through their entire lives and so it's probably not the most uplifting book but I think it's really interesting because it thinks about that idea of narrative and like fate and the idea of what your choices are and what you're gonna you know that what is it I think like character is fate where it's like the what you are, who you are, the things that you do is exactly what you're going to that that is your life. Your life is your life, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, it goes through all four kids and like the first one, he dies pretty early. I think he goes to San Francisco and he's part of the kind of pre-AIDS epidemic life in San Francisco and then the final chapter is the longest cuz obviously the person who's living the longest is going to have the longest chapter. But I think it's it's just really interesting because you you There's a beginning quote that they have, which it says, feels like something is happening to everyone but them. And so it's like everybody else has this narrative that you, again, we've something we've talked about in in an earlier episode, that it feels like everyone else is kind of following this narrative and that the level of agency that you have and the choices that you're making in that narrative. And the thing is, you have agency and it's you who are going to do those, that changing. And I don't know, being an adult and knowing what to do is like, you feel like it's totally separate from you. And that you're kind of just waiting to be, waiting to know what to do and waiting to be an, an older person and waiting to figure out how to do it. And really, it's just you. And then the years just keep coming and they don't stop coming. Stop coming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know I mean? Like, it, it's, it's like you, you're like, man, man, I'm going to, when am I going to be a, a cool older person? It's like, oh, it's just the same me. And the years just are, they just kind of keep piling up. So like, that is just you the entire time. It's just you. Does that make sense? Anyway, yeah. I highly recommend book. I think it's a great book. It's beautifully written.
2: I actually recommend a book that it sounds like they're very different, but it has some similar kind of thoughts in it. I recommend The Prime of Miss Jean Brody by Muriel Spark, Hmm. which, yeah, I just, I love that book. I think it's really good. I've never watched the movie, but I know that Maggie Smith plays Miss Jean Brody, so it's probably wonderful. But it's set with, it's in a girls school I think it's a girls school there's this set of students there's like maybe you know four or six students they're 10 years old and they meet their teacher Miss Jean Brody who they think is just like really beautiful and worldly and you know she has kind of like trysts with a couple of male teachers and they're like oh she's so desirable she's so wonderful and she announces to them that she's in her prime (laughs) which is I just think really funny. She says, I have frequently told you and the holidays just passed have convinced me that my prime has truly begun. One's prime (laughs) is elusive. You little girls, when you grow up, must be on the alert to recognize your prime at whatever time of your life it may occur. You must then live it to the full. And then later she says, one's prime is the moment one was born for. So these are, I don't know, kind of like funny little thoughts but the, the book takes a dark turn as it goes like the, the girls start to age and so does Miss Jean Brody and they start to they first kind of have this confidence at being chosen as her favorites and then their separate relationships with her get more complicated as they all age and they start to be like women in their prime or whatever um, and maybe Miss Brody is past her prime and so it's a really interesting book but it kind of just shines a light on this preposterous idea of like a person having a prime like Mm -hmm. versus just hey this is just a part of the life you're living and you're going to keep on living for a while and then you'll be old and that's okay too so i don't think that this is an uplifting book to read thinking about (laughs) but i think it lets you off the hook a little bit to be like
0: yeah whatever
2: my salad days are gone that's okay
0: (laughs) man i hope i still have salad days man my husband, Phil, was at the gym
2: and he was – this is a couple months ago. He was having trouble um, – I don't know. Like something – he was like, oh, man, I just don't recover like I used to. Something like, you know, something boys say. <laughs> and his friend goes, you're a pickle, Phil. You'll never be a cucumber again.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
2: It's my favorite. And then we, we were at a restaurant and this guy was at the restaurant, which we didn't notice, and he sent pickles to our table. We were like, what the – like the waiter set, set down our check with a little cup of pickles, and we're like, "What?" And then she like indicated like, "I don't know that guy over there," and we turned, and it was the pickle guy. So that's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, that's really funny, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky because both of my parents their 40s were their prime. Hmm. So like, I have a while to really think about it. Like, but I, like maybe my mom is her like late, but like they both will say like, we were in our best physical condition when we were in our 40s. And I'm like, thank God, because I am not in mine right now. So I'm looking forward to it. My mom is – Your mom is
1: thriving, Anne. My mom – I mean, talk about, like, gaining perspective. My mom is just – I'm just going to, like – It's going to say toot my mom's <laughs> horn, but that's not really what I – Toot away, <laughs> Anne. I just – just... She is someone who is, like, who I look up to in terms of aging. Like, I had a conversation with her a couple years ago. I think it was when I turned 30 and I was just feeling a little nervous. Like, I was excited because on one hand, like, most of my 20s were terrible. And, I mean, the second half of my 20s were great because I started grad school and, like, I met you guys. The first half of my 20s were terrible. And so I was like excited about turning 30, but nervous. And my mom was just like, you know, I loved my 30s. I figured out so much stuff. I felt like, you know, it was okay to be myself. And then she's like, you know what? I also really love my 40s. And now that I think about it, my 50s were great too. And, you know, my <laughs> 60s were turning out pretty great too. So – I just always think about that too when I'm like – when I start worrying about aging and I'm just like that attitude about like, you know, you're the same person and I think a little bit of perspective and acceptance goes a long way. Yeah, and aging can be clarifying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was reading Tracy K. Smith, who's a poet, Cynthia, and – I was reading this interview with her where she was talking, I think it was Powell's bookstore. She was talking to somebody and she um, was talking about her most recent book, which is called uh, Wade in the Water. It came out in 2018. And it's incredible. I recommend that book just as a whole. But she was talking about how much we as people and writers like self-mythologize. And she means that as like we create all of these like misconceptions and like delusions about ourselves and like what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. And the great thing about poetry is that like we're figuring out the barriers to wholeness or brightness. And I just really love that that statement of like our barriers to wholeness or brightness because we never think that we can achieve – wholeness that like there's always something in our way to like being our best self that you know there's something on the other side and I was reading this poem by Tracy it's actually the last poem in that book wait in the water and I am just going to read it it's called an old story we were made to understand it would be terrible every small want every niggling urge Every hate swollen to a kind of epic wind. Livid, the land, and ravaged like a rageful dream. The worst in us having taken over and broken the rest utterly down. A long age passed. When at last we knew how little would survive us, how little we had mended or built that was not now lost, something large and old awoke. And then our singing brought on a different manner of weather. Then animals long believed gone crept down from trees. We took new stock of one another. We wept to be reminded of such color.
2: That's beautiful. She's so freaking good.
1: She really is. Also, also, Cynthia all of you everyone listening to Tracy K Smith read this poem which you can do on Poetry Foundation website which I'm reading from right now. She is an incredible reader of her own work and just anyone's work. I have nothing more to say about this poem. I just think it's it's beautiful. Should we end with one final poem for Cynthia?
2: Are we are we ready for that sort of wrap up? Yeah, that's great. All right.
0: I'm, I'm ready. ready. My body is ready. Oh, sorry.
2: I'm going to read a poem from Wendy Shue's first collection, You Are Not Dead. The collection ends with a section of poems that are all named We Are Both Sure to Die. And this is the penultimate poem in the book. And I picked this one because it's – I think the danger in your question, Cynthia, is thinking about yourself narrowly, like what what is allowed to you narrowly. And I think allowing yourself more – to think of yourself expansively and like what you are allowed in that way. And this is a poem that just, I think you'll see, gets kind of more expansive as you go. We are both sure to die. But I feel like a person again. I feel like more than enough snow to cover a bicycle. I feel like what is in the snow. I feel like what says yes to snow. I feel like what is before snow. What is before snow? I feel like an interesting kind of tired, like a wind chime at night. I feel like a porch that is also a wind chime. I feel a little fine. I feel like talking not on the phone. I feel like the phone. I feel like you are something I say in the dark. I feel like what is an airplane in summer. My favorite line, reading that out loud, was "I feel a little fine." Because mm-hmm. depending on how you say it, you're like I, "I am fine," or you're like "I'm feeling kind of fine." Um, <laughs> I'd encourage you, Cynthia, to first be like, "You know what? I'm fine," and then be like, "You know what?
1: I am fine. You're fine, and you're also fine." Fine. All right. I'm
0: fine. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just let's cut all that off.
1: <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> cut out everything I ever just said. And. On that
2: note, Cynthia, (laughs) we really have no more to give you.
1: (laughs) Cynthia, we love you. You are great as you are. But we're not going to give
0: you permission to do any of this. No,
1: you need to give yourself permission.
0: Yeah, be like, fuck your permission.
2: Fuck what we think.
0: Gail, Caroline, and Anne. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: We're your friends, but we can't run your life. Bye,
0: Cynthia. (laughs) (laughs) We're friends now. (laughs) Now That We're Friends was recorded in front of a live studio audience made up entirely of our pets. Your hosts and three new friends are Caroline Cabrera, Ann Holmes, and Gail Thompson. Our producer is Lee San, Carlsbad Canyons, Ramos. Our theme music is provided by Gail Thompson. That's me. Now That We're Friends is an O Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at You can also follow us on Facebook at Now That We're Friends and on Twitter and Instagram at NTWF Podcast.